I'm good at that. <laughs> All right, we are in Psalm 119. We are on the ninth of uh, 22 letters. That uh, remember, Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Each section, every verse in that section in Hebrew begins with that letter. So we find ourselves in uh, verse 65, uh, which is Teth. And this section, this pericope, is about uh, God is good all the time. Let's take a look at it. Verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. God always does good. Now, we don't always understand every situation we find, the things that, that go on in our life. But we know that all the things that come into our life, according to Romans chapter 8, right? doesn't say we hope. doesn't say we think. It says we know. All things work together for good to those who are called. So he's talking about believers, right? So in, in the life of a believer, not that everything uh, is happy, everything is, is joyous, but the idea is that everything works together. For good, We may not see good in that moment, in that time, but we know this. God says everything that enters into our life, passes through our life, is ultimately for our good and His glory. And those struggles, the scripture lays out for us, right? It says that we should not consider that something weird has happened to us if something bad happens to us. But that we would realize that the, with all of those challenges of life... God develops our character, we grow, we learn that, that perseverance, our character leads to perseverance, perseverance leads to hope, and hope does not disappoint for the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. All those events in life do that. So Psalm, in Psalm 119, it lays out for us, what, how can we know that God is good? It says, you have dealt well with your servant according to your word, according to what your word teaches me, I know that you're doing good. Look what it says in 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. How uh, uh, we ought to walk, the direction that God uh, gives us in his word is, is for us. It's for our uh, edification, for our building up, so that we can say, <coughs> that this is good. The law is good. The word of God is good. We might we not like it all, but it doesn't mean it's not right. That it's not perfect. That it's not just. And then he says, look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So in his personal experience, his affliction is what brought him on track. And in our lives, think about how many times we've forgotten God. And a difficulty has come on or affliction has entered into our life. Or some kind of trouble or tribulation and put us back on track. That's exactly what the psalmist is talking about. When, when I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The affliction, the difficulty, the struggle brought him back to the word. The struggle brought him, brought him back to a place where he puts his eyes on God. Because what do we realize? There's a lot of things we realize in struggle, but here's what, one of the things that, that I'm reminded of all the time. This place is not my home. Everyone that I love is not here anymore. Some of the people that I love are already with Jesus. And what happens every time somebody I love is with Jesus, it means this place has less hold on me, and that place has a greater hold on me. 
which means it draws me in line with, with him. I want to put my eyes on the Lord. I want to I live out these days here, however they're going to be, but I'm homesick. There's, there's people that I want to be with, people I want to see again. So I want to I understand that affliction teaches me, brings me back in line with God. <laughs> Verse 68, look what he says. You are good and do good. So teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. Word of God tells us God is good all the time. If something in our perception of our world says God's not good, what's wrong? Our perception. Our perception. Keep in mind when, I mean, just theologically speaking, mankind is fallen, isn't he? (coughs) How much of man's life is affected by sin? Only certain parts of it. So when we think about how much of our life is affected by sin, is it, is it not, isn't our perception also affected by sin? Don't we find ourselves getting self-focused and considering often about how something affects us and not necessarily considering how it affects others around us? So our perception is what's wrong if we come to a place where we think God's not good. God's not good because the Word of God tells us He is good. Uh, theological terms is called God's omnibenevolence. That God is all good, all the time. All good, all the time. That's what His Word declares for us. So He says, The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Now keep in mind when I tell you about keeping the law, just, just kind of... Make the adjustment in your mind that it's not about your performance, it's about your treasuring. What do you value? <laughs> what the psalmist is saying, I value what your word says. I don't, I don't keep it because I'm broken. Anybody else broken in here? So I'm broken, I don't keep it. But what am I saying? I'm saying I value it. I, I want to hold your law close because I want to recognize when there's a difference between my life and your word, I know which part's out of balance. Right? Me. So I'm going to keep your word, Lord. I want to keep it with my whole heart. I want to cling <coughs> to what your word says. Their heart, the proud, their heart is as fat as grease. That just doesn't sound good. So I, I pretty much am down with, that's uh, bad. That's bad. But I delight in your law. You see that concept, right? Keeping the law, treasuring the law. I delight in your law. I want to know your word. How do we come to know God in His Word? How do we come to understand how God sees things, or how God does things, or how God works? It's in His Word. And so often what happens, guys, is we, we come to faith in, in Christ, and we build a God of our own. That this is what I think God looks like. And we put that God on the shelf, and we even make glasses out of that God. And w- through those glasses, we read the Word. Because this is what I think God's like. I think God's like this. And when we do that, we we develop misconceptions about how God looks at things and how God sees things. When in reality, we want to do that the opposite way. What do I mean? We want the Word of God to tell us how God is. We want the Word of God to tell us what God's like. And then I want that to form my perception. You get what I'm saying? So I'm not putting on a shelf some idol some God that I, that I call Yahweh, but it isn't built on what the Word of God says about Him. 
but it's built on my traditions or my concepts or my ideas. A lot of people do that. <laughs> and we can find ourselves in a place where we are seeing uh, the same kind of idolatry that you can see otherwise. But that idolatry, this idolatry is is a little more deceptive. Why? Because because we're we're worshiping the right God. We just have formed him into a, an image that's not based on his word. What's that mean? It means we've got to spend time in his word. If we're going to know God, where are we going to find out about him? Where are you going to find out about how God views sin? Where are you going to find out about how God uh, views the world? Where are you going to find out about what God's plans and purposes are for your life? We're going to find that in the word. And that's how we're going to know who God is, what God's like, what God has planned for us, what God's purposes are. So look what he says in verse 71, because it helps us kind of tie it together. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. He says, God, you're good, and everything you do is good. And remember he said previously, I got I kind of lost track before I was afflicted. But when I was afflicted, I got back on track. So what does he come to realize? That affliction was good. Because it brought me back where I needed to be. It brought me back where, where I longed to be. And so that's what he's recognizing. What's the purpose? So that I might learn your statutes. Remember, all these are, are terms that deal with the Word of God. Statues, precepts, the law, the commandments. It's all synonymous terms dealing with God's word. So I need to learn your word. I need to understand who you are and, and what you have for me. Because in verse 72 he says, For the law of your mouth is better than me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Well, is that how you feel? That the word of God has more value to, to you than all the money in the world? All the gold and the silver. <clears throat> but that's what happens when a heart is in tune with the Lord and recognizes just what this pericope is talking about. Teth, that God is good all the time. Even in the struggles and the difficulties that we face, God is good. And he uses his word to teach us that. So that we can see that. Okay, but in order to see it, where do we got to be? In His Word. If we're not in it, it doesn't do us any good. We come to the next paracope, Yod. Okay, Yod is when all else fails, read the instructions. That's what this section's about. When all, when, after you tried everything else, you realize, you know, I should have looked at the, the, the instructions. We, a little while ago, the church got a, what do you call them things? Uh, a bag, <coughs> grass catcher for the mower. I don't know, what do you call it? Grass catcher for tomorrow? You go for that? So, uh, it comes out, and me and Levi are putting it together. And we're guys. And uh, it was probably 30 minutes before I even looked at the instructions. Like, surely we can figure out how this goes together. So after 30 minutes, we looked at the instructions. Made life a lot easier, right? Because we realized, oh, oh, so that's upside down. Turn that around. Oh, there. Now look at that, how it fits. Sometimes we go to the instructions, it lays it out for us. Well, this is the Word of God. It gives us those instructions. Look at verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. So, not only the psalmist, but all of mankind, the Bible says, all of mankind is created in the image of God. All fallen, broken man, the image of God is within him. There is a yearning for God in the in the heart of men 
uh, there is a <coughs> there's something within man that says God exists, God is real, God is here, God is moving. Man can't account for things in his worldview apart from understanding that God is there. What is that? It's the fingerprints of God on the life of men. The fingerprints of God in our lives and in our circumstances. Your hand fashioned me. So give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. So what's he saying? You built me. You, you're the guy who put it all together. You have the instructions. You have the instructions on how I need to get my life right. On how I should walk. On how I should be. You give me that instruction. Verse 74. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Because I have hoped in your word. One of the things we recognize is in the body of Christ there's unity. Even if we're on different continents. When you meet Christians from other places. You recognize all the things that you have in common as you just spend a little bit of time. There's that camaraderie. It's the same thing he's talking about here. Look at those who fear the Lord, those who are, are, are believers, those who walk with God. They're glad when they see me. They're glad when they know me. Why? Because the thing that binds us together is the word of God. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So he even says, when I look at the instructions of life, the instructions of life tell me there's blessing always in affliction. God doesn't afflict just to be injurious, but that God has a purpose <coughs> and a plan in it. And there is, there is blessing. There's something that God is working through it. So let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort. Where do we find that? According to your word, to your servant. According to your word, I, I want God's mercy. I want God's kindness. I want God's uh, a tender, loving kindness. Uh, I want God's chesed, the love of God that he pours out on his people. So let your tender mercies come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. I want your tender mercies. And where is it that I learn about those things? Where is it I learn about that? In the Word of God. And the Word of God is my delight. I delight. I want to get more of the Word of God so that I might grow in understanding who God is. I want to be able to see the love of God in the Old Testament. I hear people all the time say, I read the Old Testament, but it's just a God of vengeance. Well, you're not reading the Old Testament. You're hearing some other Yahoo who said that the Old Testament is this vengeful God. That you didn't read Hosea. Because if you read Hosea, you see a God who loved so deeply that when his own went away and didn't want him, he still went and redeemed them. Well, I don't know what you call that. I call that love. The, the harshest book of the law, the book of Leviticus, is the very place where Jesus quotes, love your neighbor as yourself. That's where that comes from. But if I want to be able to see a God of love in the Old Testament, what do I got to do? I got to read it. I don't need to read what somebody else thinks about it. I need to spend time reading it, growing in it, understanding who God is and what he's doing so that I might know him. <clears throat> that the word would be my delight. So let the proud be ashamed, though they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I... Instead of like the proud who mistreat people and do all this stuff, 
I want to meditate on your word. I want to meditate on what your word says. How your word tells me to respond. How your word tells me to react to, to others. To react to the proud. How your word teaches me. I want to, I want to do that. How am I going to do it? I got to meditate on the word, right? Look, the Christian worldview, the Christian life is all about the question of ultimates. What's your ultimate? Who, what's your, the ultimate authority in your life? For some people, their ultimate authority is your bank account. For some people, their ultimate authority is their reasoning. For some people, their ultimate authority is, is what the church says. I don't know, but you have to decide what your ultimate authority is. I think what the Word of God would teach us is that God's Word should be our ultimate authority. That what's right is what's right according to God's Word. And what's wrong is what's wrong according to God's Word. That God's Word is the ultimate. How will I know what the ultimate authority is laying out? i got to be meditating on it. i got to be chewing on it. i got to be digging into it. I love what John Piper said. He said, you can come to the Word of God with a rake and you'll get leaves. If you come to the Word of God with a pick and a shovel, you get gold. Sometimes you got to dig in. Sometimes you got to slow down. Sometimes you got to decide. I want to really know, God, who are you? What do you like? What is your, what is your Word teaching me? That we would have a desire to meditate. So let those who fear you turn to me. Let uh, those who know your testimonies, and let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. So he's saying, look, I, that I know you so well <clears throat> that I understand the instructions that you've given us since you're our creator that I'm, I'm, I'm able to live a life that's, that's blameless. I'm able to live a life that is following uh, your, your basic uh, plan for me. As the Yod comes to close in verse 80, we come to Calf. Calf is uh, all about faith and patience. Faith and patience. Look what it says. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. So the first little poetic uh, expression is that we have fainting, but hoping. Right? My soul faints. I'm at the end of my strength. But even though I'm at the end of my strength, I hope where? In your word. What your word teaches me. And we hold to the promises of God. Because we don't always see the promise of God fulfilled. That's not something new. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Abraham looked for a city that was permanent. He lived in a tent his whole life. But he knew there was a city, somewhere there was a city of God that was permanent, that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And he lived his whole life looking for the promise from the word of God, looking for the promise and never seeing the fulfillment. Well, he sees it now. But he didn't see it then. The point is, living our life, even though our soul faints, even though we're running out of strength, where's our hope? It's in the Word that God is true. And what He's told us is truth. We can hold on to it. Look, He describes it another way in 82. My eyes fail from searching your Word, saying, when will you comfort me? He said, look, I, my eyes, I'm, my eyes are tired. I can't read anymore. I'm Trying to devour your word and get your word in me because I'm looking for comfort. But he's saying, I, I'm not finding it. My eyes are failing. And, and, but, I, but I know, what's he saying? I know, where's my hope? It's in your word. It's in your word. 
So, so I, have to, I have to seek after it. And I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. I become like a, a wineskin in, in smoke. There's <coughs> loss of vision. I can't fully grasp and understand what's going on. But I'm holding on to your word. I'm holding on to your word. I'm holding on to the promise that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. Even though the next verse says all day long we are like sheep led to the slaughter. Does that sound like a conqueror to you? But the word says, look, you are more than conquerors. Even though, even though that is a part of the struggle of life. So how many are the days of your servant? So we've gone from fainting but hoping to questioning but waiting. Look what he says. How, how many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? When is the bad guy going to get what he deserves? That's what the psalmist is saying. When's the guy who's done me wrong? When's he going to get his? When, when is that, when's that justice going to fall? So he's, he's questioning he says, the proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. So there, I see the wicked, and the wicked are getting away with it, and I don't know, <coughs> God, when you're going to do it, but he's waiting. He's waiting on the Lord. What's the scripture tell us? If we wait on the Lord, what happens? Renew our strength, Renew our strength right? Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on him. It's not... A problem that he has a question. He lays out the question, but he knows where the answer is found. The answer is found in being faithful and allowing God to revive him. And that's where he goes to next. All your commandments are faithful. All your word is faithful, trustworthy. I can hold fast to it. I can trust in it. He says, they persecute me wrongly. The wicked, they're doing these things. It's not right, but your word is faithful. Your word is faithful. Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they hate me, they will. Those who really think that we'll get through life altogether without having to face some of those things. Some of the same things. Rejection. Loneliness. Aren't those the same things that Jesus faced in his life? So those are things that that we're going to see in ours. It's a part of... The human condition. But, though that's true, though the word of God is true and trustworthy, and they persecute me wrongfully, what's he say next? So help me. Help me. See, one of the things that God promises is not that our life will be a bed of roses, but he does promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He does promise that I'll never make you walk the road alone. If you're in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who's with you? Jesus is there with you. If you're Daniel in the lion's den, who's with you? Jesus is with you in the lion's den. If you're locked up in prison, or you're, whether you're persecuted, or you're standing somewhere, and, and uh, the world is coming down on you, the Lord says, Lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. No matter what happens, I'll never leave you. I'll never, I will never not <clears throat> be here with you. So he says, help me. They almost made an end of me on the earth. But what helped him? They almost made an end of me, but 
I didn't forsake your precepts. I didn't abandon your word. Look, right now the world is primed to, to chuck the word. As the Bible's archaic. It doesn't make any sense. Of course, everybody who says that, I haven't found anybody yet that, that actually knows it. There, even, the, even, the, even the doctors, it's, it's crazy some of the things that they are, are blinded to. But <clears throat> nonetheless, he said, why didn't they make an end to me? Because I didn't forsake the word. I, st- I stood strong on the word. And what's he asked for next? Verse 88, so revive me according to your loving kindness. For what purpose? That I might keep the testimony of your mouth. That I might keep your word. That I might treasure your word. Revive me. Revive me. Give me the strength. Look, we're, we all fail. There will never be a day where we reach some kind of perfection apart from Christ. We all fail. We need Him. We need a Holy Spirit to strengthen us and guide us for everything that comes before us. So where do we find all that? Where do we find the faith to go on? Where do we find the things necessary? What's the Word of God say? Faith comes by hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. Spending time in the Word of God gives birth to that in our life. And we come to the next paracope, Lamed. Lamed. And Lamed deals with change and the changeless. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So how long is that? Forever. So what, how did Jesus say it? Not one jot or tittle, not the smallest stroke of a pen or the tiniest dot over a letter will pass away until what? Everything is fulfilled. Until it's all done. So when Jesus said that, and then we come to the Word of God and we, and we worry about where we got stuff missing. We don't got nothing missing. What did Jesus say? Not one jot or tittle will pass away. You haven't lost a thing. And the experts that deal with textual issues of the Bible say the same thing on both sides. The believer and the unbeliever. They both say the same thing, which is what God said. That your word is settled in heaven forever. What God said is going to come to pass. It's going to happen. We have it. We can know it. Your faithfulness, God's faithfulness endures to how many? All generations, right? So it goes to everyone. You establish the earth and it abides. So what are we talking about? God's word is settled. God is absolutely faithful. And God's creation is established. And all of those things are truths that the natural man suppresses. Romans chapter 1 says that the man who doesn't accept, hasn't received, that Jesus Christ is not Lord and Savior, does what? Suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. What truth does he suppress? That the world that he lives in is screaming that God is real. God is here. That there are just some things you can't explain any other way. The basis... For the scientific scientific method for experimentation is the fact that things are repeatable. You ever thought about that? Things are repeatable? Well, how would things be repeatable in a random, chaotic universe? If the universe is really random and chaotic, then I would expect things not to be repeatable. But the opposite is true. The opposite is true is that the things are repeatable. That the sun comes up every morning. It doesn't go down one day. That 
when you drop something out of a, out of, in the sky, it falls. It does never go up. How come? Because there are certain laws that, that are constant. That's the opposite of random chaos. That's the opposite of it. But nonetheless, even though they'll use all of that <coughs> to prove scientific methods, they won't acknowledge that induction points to a creator, to God, to his truth. The earth is established. Creation stands. It says in verse 91, they continue this day according to your word. For all are your servants. To all mankind falls under the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Except that I had the hope of your word to cling to in my affliction. I would have, it would have washed me away. I would have been washed away by the things that happened. But I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I'll never forget your word, because your word is life. Remember what Jesus said? You search the scriptures daily. And you believe that in them you'll find life. But it is these scriptures that speak of me. What did Jesus say? I've come to give you life, and life how? More abundantly. Where is that all found? In the word. What's John 1.1 1, 1 say about Jesus? In the beginning was the word. Who's God the word? Jesus Christ, Right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus, the Word of God. So all of these things expressed through His Word, He gives us life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. Save me. I cling to your Word. Save me. I want to know you. I want to know you. That desire that God places in the heart of men. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. But I will consider, meditate, hold to your word, your precepts, your testimonies. And I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Basically what he's saying is, look, I need to get out of my rut. Do we all get in ruts? You guys ever experience a rut? And it's easy to just stay in a rut. But he's saying, get out of your rut, for the word of God is boundless. There's lots of space. There's lots of answers. There's lots of things that we can find. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. It's not a rut. It's not a rut. It's an open road. Next, we come to the next paracope, Mem, which is beyond Bible study. Beyond Bible study. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. He loves and meditates on the Word of God. That the Word of God is is that thing to which he clings. And you, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. You know that the Bible tells in Colossians that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ Jesus. Do you know what all means? Yep, it's crazy. So all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ Jesus. Not most, not some. Not, you know, all those religious treasures. Nope, it just says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. Found in Him. God the Word. And here, what's he saying? He's saying, look, 
<coughs> through your commandments, through your word, you make me wiser than my enemies. You teach me how to deal, how to, how to respond. <coughs> he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I cling to what your word says and, and it makes me wiser than my teachers. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ Jesus. All. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep or treasure your word. So it keeps me on a straight and narrow. Keep the word of God in me. Keep pouring the word of God in. And it keeps me on a path I need to be on. It's, uh, I always, you have to remind me, John, Elisha that did the pot full of death was Elisha, right? So Elisha, I always get Elisha and Elijah mixed up. So every time I tell this story, I have to ask John to make sure it's the right guy. So Elisha, he's at the school of the prophets. And apparently the school of the prophets, they're not very good cooks. They make a stew. They cook this stew and... And Elisha's hungry, so he comes and wants to eat it. And he tastes it. And all he can say is, there is death in the pot. Which had to mean, at the very least, it was horrible. Right? Didn't taste good at all. Maybe it was actually poison. We don't know. But we know that Elijah showed us how to cure it. You know, if there's poison in something, if there's sin in something, if there's something, you can't pull it out. Remember the story of the wheat and the tares, right? Jesus said that somebody, uh, the, the, the enemy has planted uh, tares among the wheat. <clears throat> Jesus said, don't go pull them up. Just wait till the harvest. God knows how to tell the difference. You can't pick out the poison once the poison's been in. So what does Elisha do? The, the Bible tells Elisha took meal. Meal, like the bread, which is always a picture of the word of God. And he just keeps adding the meal, pouring the meal in the pot. And as he poured the meal in the pot, the poison went out. And he brought the pot to the place where everybody could eat it. What's my point? How do you stay on a path you need to stay on? How do you uh, live an obedient life? Just keep putting a word in and let it push out the poison. Don't try to pick the poison out. Don't try to say, I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to stop that, and I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to stop that. Hang all that stuff. Pour the Word in. You pour the Word in, and the Word will do that for you. Yeah, the Word will convict you. The Word will say, oh, there, I got, I, that's not what the Word of God tells me. I can't be this way. I can't allow these things in my life. God will direct. God will guide. I just pour it in. I have restrained my feet from every evil way. That I may keep your word. Treasuring the word of God pushes that out. I have not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. What's he saying? Not only does he obey the word. Not only does he love the word. Not only does he meditate on the word. He enjoys it. It's sweet like honey. And you spend some time with a pick and shovel in the Word and you start digging up gold, you start getting energized by what you're learning. And that becomes contagious. You want more of that. So you find yourself with a pick and shovel more, trying to pull out (coughs) the gold that you can from the Word of God. So he says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, 
I hate every false way. What's the attitude of the believer? The attitude of the believer should be to hate the things God hates, not to try to make peace with them. The world today thinks, you know, we should just get soft on, on all those things. If God says he hates something, we, should, we shouldn't. We, we won't do that. You push them away. But I don't know, man. I just, the Bible says over and over again, I hate what you hate. I love what you love. I hate what you hate. I love what you love. I hate men who, who try to sell me evil for good. Bitter for sweet instead of sweet for bitter. That, 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 they, that they're always trying to change that which is bad or evil for and call it good. God says, no, it ain't good. It ain't good. And there's a lot of that in our world today. You don't notice it? It's crazy. There's a lot of that in our world today, trying to say, this is not bad. This is really okay. It's really okay. And if you really want to be the kind of loving person you ought to be, you should just accept it. Well, the problem is that that flies in the face of this. You just got to pick a side. Where, what side are you going to be on? Side of the Word of God or not? Because the Word of God, He says, look, I hold fast to your Word, and I hate every false way. I hate all those lies. I hate all that stuff that brings death and pain and misery. I hate all of that, that which sin brings about. We come to the next paracope, none. None. This section is about we will be faithful. First, we got faithful feet. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what's the word of God do? Makes our feet faithful. What's that mean? We walk where we're supposed to walk. We walk how we're supposed to walk. We do what we're supposed to do because we're pouring the Word of God in. Not because we're sitting around with a list of do's and don'ts and trying to do them. We just put the Word in and let the Word do. What does it say in Isaiah 55? The the Bible tells Isaiah 55, My Word will always accomplish what it's sent to do. You pour the Word in, sprinkle that meal in your life, whatever poison is in your life is going to come out. It's going to come out. We just stay faithful to holding fast to the Word of God. It says in 106, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I have sworn and confirmed. So we have faithful feet. Now we have faithful words. I'm saying with my mouth, yeah, I'm going to conform to your word. I'm going to keep your righteous judgments. I'm afflicted very much, so revive me, O Lord. How? According to your word. Have you ever felt like you need a revived? Where does revival come from? A, a, a misrepresentation of God that we have created? Or does it come from reality? I would say it would come from reality. Where is reality going to be found? In His Word. What does the Word say? What does it say? What does it teach us? Are we holding fast? Or are we allowing that to revive us? That's where revival is at. Revival is it's not some a, a new movement of the Holy Spirit. It's God's people coming back to the solid foundation of what His Word says. Revival goes away because we leave it. Because Amos says there's a, there's a famine of the Word in the land. Revival comes when people return to that. They return to what the Word of God lays out. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. Freely, using his words faithfully to give God thanks. Using his words faithfully to praise the Lord.
My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The next thing that he's faithful, faithful memory. Faithful memory. I remember your word. I remember your law. I remember what your word lays out for me. I won't forget it. Even though the wicked have laid a snare for me, I have not strayed from your precepts. I hold fast to your word. I have a faithful memory. Faithful memory found by pouring God's word in, making God's word part of our life. (laughs) Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. So the next thing he says, we have a faithful faithful heart. I'm holding fast to your heritage. Your word has taught me. For they are the rejoicing of my heart. And I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. They are the rejoicing of my heart. Man, I just want to get more of God's word and pour more of God's word in. What does it do? It changes my heart. How's man changed from the inside out? That's the work of God, isn't it? It's the work of God. <clears throat> so how does it occur? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of every believer and he begins to work through the word of God to change us from the inside out. And that's exactly what the psalmist is declaring. Yeah, your word changes my heart. What I, what I didn't even value before, now that I have you, I value I treasure, I cling to, and I want to incline my heart to say, yeah, I want to follow that, I want to do that, I want to treasure that, I want to hold on to that. Then in Semek, the next pericope, he says, this is how we deal with the enemy. The Word of God teaches us how to deal with the enemy. So what does it say? I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You ever get tired of of the wishy-washy, yes means no, no means yes? There's no winners, there's no losers, nobody keeps score. That don't bug you guys. But he's saying, I, I, I don't like the double-minded. I love your law. Why? Because in God's law, yes is yes and no is no. No's not maybe. No's not sometimes. No's all the time. Or yes is all the time. And we can hold fast to the solid <clears throat> truth about God's word. So if we're dealing with our enemies, how does that help us? Like this. For you are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. God's protection comes through his word. He is my shield. He is my hiding place. I hold fast in him. (coughs) So he says, depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. God's protection found where? Through his word. How did we get it? We just pour it in. You just pour it in. And God's word accomplishes what it's sent to do. Next we see not only does God protect against our enemy, but God upholds us. He says, uphold me according to your word that I might live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I shall be safe and I will observe your statutes continually. So what's the word of God says? God holds us up. Not only does he protect us, not only is there a shield, not only is he our hiding place, but he is also that which keeps us afloat when it, we're pretty sure the next wave is going to take us out but it doesn't because God's word tells us he upholds us next we see that God rejects you reject all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood you too put away all the wicked of the earth like dross therefore I love your testimony the psalmist earlier said God when is the wicked going to get his Asaph said, when he went into the house of the Lord, he saw their end. 
Yeah, judgment come one day. Judgment come one day. God will establish his justice and his wrath. Those things will take place. And we know they will take place because his word says they will. God's not ever going to accept <coughs> that which he said he won't accept. God's never going to make peace with sin. Man will have to find peace through the mediator, Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there is no peace with God. And finally, we see God dealing with the enemy. Not only does God reject and judge him, but then we see the response of godly fear. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. So that God protects us from our enemies. God upholds us from our enemies. God rejects our enemies. And in that judgment and wrath of God, we learn the fear of God. What is it that Jesus saves us from? Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. How is it that Jesus saves us from the wrath of God? He bore it. He took the wrath of God. So much more to that than just a few hours on a cross on a hillside. So when we talk about Jesus saves, we have to realize, what does He save us from? The wrath of God. Who's the wrath of God poured out on? All mankind who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This is what Romans 1 says. All mankind, the wrath of God is poured out on all mankind, but God withholds His judgment according to 2 Peter 3.9, waiting for what? In His long-suffering, what's He waiting for? Men to repent and live. Where do we learn all that? From the Word of God. Letting the Word of God do that perfect work in us and through us. All Psalm 119 is focused on the truth that every believer needs, the Word of God in his life, a steady diet, if he's going to be or if she's going to be the man or woman God wants him to be. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray.